An elderly-looking man approaches a small castle at a place called La Ferte Bernard. He's on horseback, but he can only just about sit upright. He's seriously overweight, and he's obviously unwell. He moves wearily, as though he carries all the troubles of the world on his shoulders. His eyes, which once gleamed with both humour and anger, are dull. His limbs, which used to fidget constantly, are now heavy and slow. It's hard to believe it, but this man is Henry II, the ruler of the entire Plantagenet Empire. He's only 56, but the last few months have been rough on him. It's the spring of 1189. Since Christmas, Henry has been suffering a debilitating illness. He has an infected abscess in his colon. It's agony, giving him a raging fever and keeping him in bed for weeks on end. Now that he's finally up and about again, he's a shadow of the man he once was. His body is failing him, and the crippling pain Henry is in could not have come at a worse time, because his to-do list is as long and daunting as always. First, he needs to sort out his eldest surviving son, Richard. He's been led astray by the wily King of France, Philip Augustus, and is refusing to take his dad's calls or answer his texts. He needs to work out what to do with his younger son, John, who's now 21 and still doesn't have anywhere to rule for himself. Of course, Henry also needs to keep tabs on his wife, Eleanor. Despite freeing her from her long imprisonment, he still doesn't fully trust her. He sent her back to England as a safety measure in case she tries to meddle in his dispute with Richard. And if that isn't enough, he's supposed to be preparing for a crusade to liberate the Holy Land from Saladin. He's raised the taxes to pay for it, and the most eager crusaders are beginning to leave under their own steam. The Pope is going to start asking questions if he doesn't get his act together soon. So this is a terrible time for Henry to be so ill. And Henry being Henry, he's not dealing with it patiently. He's come to La Ferte Bernard for yet another round of negotiations with Philip and Richard. They're supposed to be his crusading partners, but instead they're openly attacking his castles and trying to undermine him at every turn. Henry's not in the mood for any more of their nonsense. But more nonsense is exactly what he gets. Last episode, we heard how Philip was taking every opportunity to wind Henry up and poison his relationship with Richard. In the months that Henry's been in his sickbed, Philip hasn't developed much compassion. In fact, he's doubling down. He's even had the cheek to say that Henry's faking the illness, pulling a sickie as a political tactic to win Richard's sympathy. Tensions are high, and there is a lot riding on the reconciliation of these three rulers. So much so that a whole crew of archbishops have come to meet with them at La Ferte Bernard to try and get them to bury the hatchet. Fat chance. The issues are as stale as they are unsolvable. Richard is still demanding to be recognised as king-in-waiting of the Plantagenet Empire. 
He wants Henry to give him his word that John won't be promoted above him. Meanwhile, Philip still wants Henry to give his long overdue approval to Richard marrying into the French royal family by tying the knot with Philip's sister Alice. Quite literally sick and tired of all this, Henry snaps, no, no, and no. Even the peacemaking archbishops are left scratching their heads, unsure of what to suggest. Peace looks a million miles away. Henry goes from the talks to the town of Le Mans, his birthplace, to brood on what to do next. But events overtake him. Richard and Philip start riding round the nearby Plantagenet castles, forcing their keepers to surrender or be besieged. Then they turn on Le Mans itself. Henry's got troops there, captained by the great knight William Marshall. But Philip and Richard have more. Henry has no choice but to flee. As he leaves, he sees thick black smoke billowing up from the city. It's heartbreaking. And it's symbolic. Henry's birthplace is on fire. The rest of his empire seems like it's about to follow. Is this the end for the old king? Or does he have one last fight left in him? I'm Dan Jones, and from something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is History, a dynasty to die for. Episode 24, Endgame. When the Plantagenet family first went to war with each other, Back in 1173-4, the conflict was nicknamed the War Without Love. But actually, in the end, they were almost all reconciled in one way or another. What happens in 1189, after the final fateful summit, is much more vicious and loveless than anything the family has been through before. Take the events of that day at Le Mans. As old Henry limps away, the city ablaze behind him, William Marshall rides out at the back of the royal party, looking out for anyone following them. Before long, he sees some enemy knights hunting them down. They're led by Richard himself, and it doesn't look like he's bringing cupcakes, coffee and fulsome apologies. Marshall shouts to the men with Henry to keep going. Then he takes a handful of knights turns and prepares to make a stand. He grabs a lance, kicks his horse and rides straight towards the danger. Straight towards Richard. Things have been so chaotic in the retreat from Le Mans that Marshall isn't wearing his helmet. Richard is even less armoured up. Now, Richard isn't shy of a challenge. He's one of the greatest knights of the time. Then again, so is Marshall, and even Richard loses his nerve as he sees Marshall barreling at full tilt towards him. God's legs, he yells, don't kill me, that would be evil, I'm completely unarmed. Marshall hears him, but he doesn't stop. He just adjusts the aim of his lance very slightly and carries on galloping towards Richard. 
Only when he's yards away from him does he finally answer Richard's plea. Indeed, I won't kill you, he yells. Let the devil do it. With that, he drives his lance into Richard's horse. The shaft slams so deep into the poor animal that it falls down dead. As it does, Richard somersaults out of the saddle and lands on the deck with a thump. Marshall thunders off. Richard, when he's got his breath back, tells his men to let the knight go, and to do the same for his dad, Henry, who's now disappearing into the distance. You could argue that both of these great warriors have shown a bit of mercy. Maybe a little civility is returning to the situation. Really, though, things are now unravelling completely. And as so often happens at decisive moments in history, events that had been unfolding gradually all come to a head at once. A few days after the attack on Le Mans, Henry is almost back in Normandy, where he'll be safe. He can either raise a big army there and take the counter-attack to Philip and Richard, or else retreat to England and shore up his position. Yet Henry's barely over the border into Normandy when he does something he's never done before in his 35 years as king. Something no one is expecting. He admits defeat. Henry's had enough. He tells most of his men to carry on back to Normandy and start preparing to defend themselves inside its castles. But he himself changes direction and, with just a few attendants, heads for the great Plantagenet fortress at Chinon. It's nearly 200 miles away, but it's been a hub of Plantagenet power for his entire reign, and it's one of Henry's favourite places in the world. He's going there so that he can curl up and let go. What will be, will be. It's over. Richard and Philip, meanwhile, are running amok all over the Plantagenet lands of Maine and Touraine. They're ordering Henry's loyalists to either change their allegiance or face destruction. With word racing round that Henry's powers seem to be fading, most people choose the path of least resistance and fold. But a few places hold steady, including Tours, just 30 miles away from Chinon, where Henry's holed up. Philip and Richard bring siege engines to try and storm the walls of Tours, and they send messengers to Henry, telling him to get himself down there if he wants to see a couple of real warriors at work. No longer in charge of events, Henry drags himself out of his sickbed. He's in a very sorry state. But he tells his attendants to prop him up on his horse, and rides all the way to the outskirts of Tours, to the meeting place Philip has chosen a town called Ballon. He gets there on July the 4th. Philip is on the scene first, and when he sees Henry arrive, he's shocked by how feeble the old king has become. Philip lays his cloak on the ground and tells Henry to get off his horse and sit on it. Henry refuses. He may be on his last legs, but he hasn't come to lounge around. Get on with it, he croaks. I'll stay on my horse and listen. Philip shrugs. OK. He tells him that Tours has fallen, that the war is only going to go one way, and that Henry has to agree 
to an outrageous list of demands. Henry must pay homage to Philip for all his lands outside England. He has to throw his support behind the marriage between Philip's sister Alice and Richard. He has to publicly confirm Richard as king-in-waiting and get all the Plantagenet barons to do the same. He has to give up a vast stack of cash and some of his finest castles as a pledge of good behaviour. It's an insane, insulting list. But Henry's in no position to argue. As thunderstorms start to gather overhead, he just nods to everything. Then his servants take him down off his horse and carry him home to Chinon. As he goes, Henry knows it's all over. His health has gone, and in Philip, he's finally met his match. What he doesn't know is that, after a lifetime of betrayals, there's one final twist of the knife coming, and it's going to break Henry's heart. What I love about history is not just that it's full of amazing stories, but that these stories tell us so much about how we got where we are today. And if you're listening to This Is History, you probably agree. So that's why I'm pleased to recommend a podcast I think you'll love, Throughline from NPR. On every episode, the hosts take a story from the news and go back in time to where it started to answer one important question. How did we get here? Episodes take you on unexpected journeys through all kinds of subjects, like what history might have smelled like, where credit scores came from, and how China became a global superpower. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed, giving you a valuable perspective on a world that doesn't always seem to make sense. Listen now to Throughline from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Back at Chinon Castle, Henry is in bed. The mood is somber. Outside, thunderstorms crash and roll, while Philip and Richard tear the Plantagenet Empire limb from limb. The few attendants left with Henry must be wondering what will become of them if and when Chinon itself finally comes under attack. Then they hear Henry calling from his bed, demanding that they come and show him some documents. Some of them must feel a surge of hope. It's the old Henry rallying himself again. If he's after some paperwork, he must be on the mend. But a few of them know exactly what Henry's asking for, and they're quaking in their boots. You see, as part of the negotiations with Philip and Richard, Henry's been promised a list of all the Plantagenet lords and barons who have abandoned him and gone over to the other side. 
He's not supposed to look at the list until much later, when Philip and Richard are about to depart on crusade. But he's demanding it now. His attendants don't want to hand it over, but even this diminished Henry can be a bully when he wants to be. After much haranguing, he manages to get hold of the list of traitors. When he reads it, he gets the shock of his life. Because the first name on the list is someone he never would have dreamed could abandon him. The one person he still really loves. His youngest son. The baby of the family. John. For those who know John and realise what a slippery, treacherous man he's growing up to be, this isn't that much of a surprise. But Henry has always been blind to his youngest child's faults. He can't believe John's betrayed him. Now, of all times. It's the final hammer blow to his heart. Shortly after reading John's name on the list, Henry sinks into a semi-conscious stupor. He comes out of his delirium long enough to order that he's carried into Shinon's chapel, where he mutters a confession and hears the mass. Then, on the 6th of July, 1189, aged 56 and three months, Henry Plantagenet breathes his last. Over the course of his glorious life, he's gone from being a cocky teenager to the most powerful man in Western Europe. But he dies alone in his last stronghold, abandoned by everyone he loves. It's a miserable end. But in a way, it's an appropriate one. If anything was going to take this extraordinary man down, it was his own family. Between them, Richard and John have managed it, with a little help, of course, from Philip. I'll be talking more about the conflict that brought Henry down and reflecting on his legacy in this week's subscriber episode. Now that the king is dead, the last of Henry's supporters, including William Marshall, do the decent thing. They dress Henry's body in the old king's finest clothes and carry him ceremonially from Chinon Castle to the nearby abbey at Fontevraud. They set him up there for a sort of lying in state. The nuns of the abbey keep an all-night vigil, praying constantly for his soul. Then Marshall gets to work on the really awkward business. He sends a messenger to track down Richard and tell him that his father is dead. It takes a good few hours for the messenger to find Richard and another few hours for Richard to arrive at the abbey. When he does, all the attendants make themselves scarce and let him spend some time alone in the church. By this time it's dusk. Henry's not in a coffin, so Richard can look at his father's face. Unsentimental to his core, he does so, but only once. He drops to his knees and prays, briefly. Then he gets up and summons Marshall to his side. Marshall later tells people what went down between them. Here's how he tells it. You tried to kill me the other day, Richard says. You would have managed it if I hadn't knocked your lance away with my arm. Marshall looks at him, almost amused. 
If I'd wanted to kill you, my lord, I'd have done it, he says. I'm pretty good with a lance. There's a beat between them as Richard considers his options. Don't worry about it then, he says. You need to go to England. Find my mother Eleanor, tell her what's happened, and let everyone know I'm the king now. Marshall, surviving the death of his second King Henry, does as he's told. Richard stays behind to organise his dad's funeral. The family firm is officially under new leadership, and nothing is ever going to be the same. Henry's death marks the end of an era, and also the end of our first season. But trouble in the Plantagenet dynasty is far from over, and the stage is set for the new players. King Philip may have got the better of old Henry, but whether his friendship with Richard can survive them both being kings is far from certain. Slippery young John has now been bumped up to his brother's presumed heir. In his betrayal of his father, though, he's shown his true colours. He's a beast, and there's plenty more treachery where that came from. What about the Plantagenet sisters? Well, Henry's daughter, young Eleanor, is getting on well as Queen of Castile. But at almost the same moment as Henry's passing, his eldest daughter, Matilda, now back in Germany, dies in childbirth. Meanwhile, down in Sicily, the youngest daughter, Joan's marriage, is falling apart so badly that she'll soon be sending out an SOS for her brother Richard to come and rescue her. All this next generation of Plantagenet rulers are set for some dramatic twists and turns. But what about the woman who started our story? Eleanor of Aquitaine. Well, she may be 67 now, but she's finally free of the husband who manipulated, abused and imprisoned her. And she's far from done. In fact, she's about to make one of the most spectacular comebacks of all time. All that's coming up in the explosive second season of This Is History. See you there. This Is History is a Something Else and Sony Music Entertainment production. It's written and presented by me, Dan Jones. The producer is Rosie Morotro. The series producer and story editor is Georgia Mills. Dave Anderson and Peggy Sutton are the executive producers. The production manager is Jen Mystery. Matt Atchison composed the original music. The mixing and sound design is by Chris O'Shaughnessy. The studio engineers are Jay Beal, Gulliver Tickle, Teddy Riley and Josh Gibbs. With thanks to Jez Nelson, Emma Wetherill and Gerald of Wales. Now watch this space because we'll be back to bring you the next act in the wild Plantagenet tale as soon as I have time to write it. In the meantime, you can always join This Is History Plus to unlock a whole bunch of extra episodes where we've been getting stuck into all the gory details we didn't have time for in the main episodes. You'll also get all episodes completely ad-free. And while you wait for next season, we'll be back with some more exclusive episodes for This Is History Plus subscribers, so you can keep getting your history fix. 
I'll be joined by some of the best historians I know to geek out on the most fascinating medieval stories out there. Just visit This Is History on Apple Podcasts and click Try Free at the top of the page to start your free trial today. Or visit thisishistorypod.com to get access wherever you get your podcasts. And please, do give us a rating or review. Tell your friends, and of course, your lifelong political nemeses about the show. Okay, that's it from me. Thanks very much for listening.